Oh, what? You thought I wasn't going to leave you going into the weekend without an episode of the podcast? No, 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 no. Not when it's pretty much four days before New Year's Eve. And of course, y'all finally know what time it is. And I wasn't exactly sure when I wanted to do this episode of the podcast in particular because, well, I had to make sure everything was sorted out. And I had my list right here. And I wanted to make sure everything was legitimate. So, last night, I sat here on the couch going over the entire year for my choices for honorable mentions and matches of the year for 2019. Before I whittled it down to the top 20, I literally had between, now mind you, this entire list is strictly based off of AEW, WWE main roster, that being Ron SmackDown, NXT, NXT UK, and New Japan Wrestling from January until August. Um, there will not be no uh, matches concerning the G1 Climax, Destruction Tour, King of Pro Wrestling, World Tag League matches, or anything that happened in December, because unfortunately I did not have the time to watch any of those, and for that, I do apologize. But what came out of my research, and thank goodness for Wikipedia for having all the events, throughout those five promotions, I got it to 45. So technically, the top 45 matches I thought were actually worthy of being on either list. That wasn't even the worst part. The worst part at that point was then knocking off 25. And that was probably the hardest to do because out of the there were so many matches I looked at out of those 45. And matches like Cody versus Dustin Rhodes, The Brotherhood versus the Young Bucks, Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston. Matches like those, unfortunately, this year, for those of you who think that I was going to be putting those on the list, are not on this year's list, on either list. And I'll explain why when we get more into the top 10 honorable mentions of 2019 today. Once I got it down to the top 20. I then had to to figure out, okay, which matches were definitely worthy of being considered matches of the year candidates. It took a little while to figure out. I mean, I pretty much knocked all this out within 90 minutes. Surprising to me, and and should surprise you as well, that I could knock out 25 matches within the first hour, and then took another half hour trying to whittle it down to 20. From that 20, we then got our honorable mentions for 2019 which we're going to talk about today and then the top 10 matches of the year as chosen by yours truly that was probably the hardest part because there are a lot of matches that I saw this year that were of the 20 that I picked that you can easily mix and match and you would easily could have a, easily could have a reason as to why they would deserve to be on either list. 
the 10 that I chose for matches of the year, I think truly supersede everything else. The other 35 without question. Again, this is based off just my opinion, what I've seen and my criteria um, for said matches that I've put on either list. Um, In terms of the honorable mentions, I had to go with the mindset of which 10 matches could have made the cut and would have made the cut if a certain match I had on the top 10 matches of 2019 were on the list. In terms of the top 10 matches, but when we talk about that on Monday, these are those are what I consider the best of the best. Again, they're just my opinion. Your top, your top 10 may be a little bit different, as will every other top 10 list out there from the World Cultures to the Cultaholics to Solid Monsters to the GD from NY206s, from the Sledgehammer TVs, from the Don Tony and Kevin Castles, from the F4W Online, Brian Alvarez, Dave Meltzer, to your fit your podcast, your favorite podcasters, favorite podcasters, top 10 list. Everybody's gonna have their own top 10 list for this year, and I totally understand that. So, again, mine will be a little bit different in terms of order and what matches deserve to be there. This was probably the harder, compared to last year's list, last year's list was completely easy. Without question, this was probably the harder of the two. Mind you, this is the second year I'm doing this. And, again, this is so hard to simply whittle it down to the top 20. Because, like I said, there were so many good... There was there were some good matches um, coming out of this. And when I look at, you know, up and down in terms of promotions, again, I'm strictly keeping it at AEW, WWE's main roster, Raw and SmackDown, NXT, NXT UK, and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Those are usually the five that I most, most watch most of the time. Um, ROH matches will not be involved. MLW matches will not be involved. Due to the fact that I do not watch them on a regular basis, um, ROH is something that I, unless we are sin, unless you live in a Sinclair broadcasting area, more than likely, ROH matches don't fit the bill. Now, do I think ROH had a decent year? They had an alright year. It wasn't anything of, of spectacular or special, but they did have some bangers that I'm sure a lot of people will probably get at me for and tell me you should have put this on the list. I didn't watch MLW. I kind of got into the fold very very late into the game um there are matches like you know filthy tim lawler and jacob the two uh low-key versus tim lawler you know those matches like that that easily could have been put on the list had i watched those again you have we all 24 hours in the day eight of those are spent at work and then of course sleep and then any every you know gym and then everything else i'm doing in between so please do understand that any match that may not be on this list could have been worthy to join either list, and that's perfectly fine. But again, this is just my opinion. What I felt were the top 10 honorable mentions and then the top matches of the year when we get to it on Monday. And that in and of itself, I know is either going to pretty much blow your mind or make you wonder how the hell did he come up with that one for the top 10. But with top 10 with honorable mentions i think i could have i had a little bit more fun with it in terms of order and in terms of matches i could pick because i got a little bit more leeway with that um it did get to a point where certain matches that i did have on the list didn't make it like literally i am still 
you know, looking at my list and I have a lot of stuff crossed out. I had to add stuff in. I took stuff out. And the funny part of this, the funny part of last year's list compared to this year's. Now, keep one thing in mind when you're li- when you come Monday. Just like last year's list in terms of my top 10 matches of 2019. Again, for the second year in a row, there is no WWE main roster match that made it to my top 10 matches of 2019. For the second year in a row. And I'll explain why now. And I'll probably say it again come Monday. But I want to get it out of the way now. Out of my top entire top 20. One match. I might go with two. I'll probably say two. Actually made it to my top 10 honorable mentions. But for the second year in a row, there will be no, there are no WWE main roster, that being Raw and SmackDown, that made it to my top 10. And with very damn good reason. Two made it to the honorable mention. So that, so at least we have somewhat of a diversity thing going on. So in terms of AEW, WWE, NXT, NXT UK, and NJPW, Everybody gets a little piece of the pie. WWE, though, gets the least. And let me explain why. WWE, and I was listening to JD from NY206's podcast a little bit earlier. I didn't finish it. But I agree with him when he stated this was literally the worst year creatively in the history of the company. The fact that I even got two on my top 10 honorable mentions is a A plus effort in and of itself. I could have literally left these two matches off the list and I would have been, I probably wouldn't even sneeze at it. The, the, I will say though, the two matches I took out to get the other two matches I'm, we'll be talking about on the top 10. Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster versus Gallus versus the Grizzly Young Veterans. And Shayna Baszler and Rhea Ripley are off the list. I think the two matches that WWE, their best that they had, I think supersede these two matches by a country fucking mile. And for that, they should, the, for that, I would give them a, I, I, at least you tried cake for 2019. This was WWE's worst year in creative history. January and February were the only two solid months they had all year. The 10 after that were straight fucking garbage. One big reason why was in the lead up to WrestleMania, Asuka, who won the SmackDown Women's Championship from Becky Lynch, then goes into the month of March as SmackDown Champion and gets beat by Charlotte weeks before WrestleMania 35. Which, at that point, took Asuka out of the WrestleMania card entirely. For those of you who have been rocking with me pretty much the entire year, I said from jump, if you wanted to have a main event, you could have kept it at Becky versus Ronda. And then on top of that, Asuka versus Charlotte 2. Almost one year 
to the day Asuka's Asuka's 900 day undefeated streak ended she could have received her revenge and beat Charlotte and retained the SmackDown Women's Championship and we could have and who knows what would have happened with Asuka as champion I stated it fact then and it's still fact now Asuka versus Charlotte 2 should have been a marquee matchup at WrestleMania 35 if you were going to go with the women's revolution, which I easily put in the air quotes, what better way to make that an actual big fucking deal than to have those two matches on the card and you put them high up second half of the show. Becky Ronda was the most anticipated match ever since Survivor Series. Their Survivor Series match didn't go down. And, and for that, Nia Jax, we thank you. Becky and Ronda made sense. Oscar versus Charlotte too made sense. The triple threat match made no sense. And when we got to WrestleMania 36 in the main event, that match was a shit show. And to this day, I still say that triple threat was an abs- was absolute dumpster fire. For the life of me, I will still never understand why they couldn't put two marquee matchups for the ladies on. But that's neither here nor there. We are at, we are in December now. We are closing in on the end of the year. And looking at WWE creatively, that was this was probably their most atrocious year. And we're almost at the end of the year, and we're already capping it off with. From what uh, when I was listening to JD from NY206, the second worst rating in the modern era with a 1.84. Don't care if it's pre taped. The show, from what I saw in the spoilers, were absolute garbage. No shit, they got under 2 million. And honestly, and I've been and, and if you and if you've been rocking with me since literally last year around this time, you know that I made the bold prediction that WWE would go into 2019 already having under 2 million. I never said a word about it going under 2 million this year, but they made my wish come true with a 1.84. WWE deserves it. And that's why they're only get, they're lucky they're getting two matches on a list period but the two matches I have on there are deserving of being an honorable mention of 2019 most matches from this honorable mentions list you could easily put into a top 10 no problem I mean I'm looking at it right now and honestly like my number one my number one could have easily been made, made a top 10 this year but I'll explain that when we get there. I even the number two this year for honorable mentions was actually number seven on top ten until I realized, wait, this match was actually better. Because my criteria is very simple. With honorable mentions and top ten matches. With top 10 matches of the year, your match had to be so important at that time that it could not be denied. The match itself had to be so significant 
to that particular time in and during the year that that's why it could be title matches usually make the list I'm not even gonna front on that I'd say on my top 10 matches literally going through it six out of the ten are title matches the other four are the although non-title were significant to that particular moment in that time and that's why they made the list with honorable mentions they were matches that easily could have made anyone's top 10 in the world without question but they just didn't have that significance that the top 10 matches have this year that's the biggest thing title matches will always supersede everything that's a, that's neither here nor there but the significance of the title match or the significance of the match itself is what makes a top 10 match if the match is a banger easily makes your top 10 should always make your top 10 the players that were in said match easily makes it simple to put it on there if the match itself is a, is a banger and you know it's close to a, a classic as possible it makes the list with my top 10 i very i i hold that in high standard just like i hold wwe to a high standard because they are supposed to be the top brand in all professional wrestling hence why i'm never going to be a fairweather fan if it sucks it sucks if it's a banger it's a banger if it's okay it's okay those of you who've been rocking with me this year understand where i come from when it comes to shit like this I don't fuck around with with the top 10 list. I can't. I'm not going to. Honorable mention wise, again, I could have a little bit more leeway. But, again, significance of the match itself is why you made the list. And honestly, it goes without saying that everyone's going to have an opinion on the list. Your Again, your top 10 is going to be different than mine. You may watch different promotions. But at the end of the day, the 10 that I have will be putting before you are the matches that were damn good, but just didn't make the cut. Ladies and gentlemen, not only is this episode 149 of the Young Lions Perspective. This is your top 10 honorable mentions of 2019. And with that being said, let us begin. on guys zach from the wrestling issues podcast here and welcome to episode 149 of the young lions perspective so glad to have you guys here with me on the last weekend of 2019 the last full weekend of 2019 i hope you're enjoying your day your night your afternoon and your evening wherever you may be wherever you are in the 
world. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. And as always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. It is Friday evening, y'all. And when I said to myself, self, you know you got to do this top 10 honorable mentions list, don't you? To which I replied to myself, yeah. But where are we going to do it, though? You know, weekend coming up, you're going to get some sleep in, you got gym sessions, you got to prepare your fantasy football team to destroy your opponent, win the first, you know, win the, uh, you know, 1548 fan zone league championship and have the belt, to which I have actually made that recommendation and to which my commissioner, you know, replied, um, yeah, we can do that. Um, and then, of course, football, knowing that Seattle and San Francisco are going to be fighting for the NFC West championship, and I swear to God, if the Niners win the NFC West, I'm going to literally throw some shit in between all that I had to try to figure out how in God's name when I, you know, I was going to do this list when I was going to do this list and I figured today would be the best day to do it excuse me not only would I be able to get it out of the way and go into the weekend feeling good about what I'm doing but then I can come into Monday instead of doing news the weekend because, well, there is news. I'm sure there will be news, but the top 10 list is uh, supersedes the news of the weekend in this aspect. This will probably be the only time this year, probably, since I've started doing news of the weekend, that a, something else other than news of the weekend will supersede that. And in which case, that would be Monday, I will let you guys know right now, will be the last full episode of the Young Lions Perspective, uh, which surprisingly rounds up to episode 150 so a nice little round number to end the year 150 and then we'll just go into 151 come january 2nd when we come back and we do our wrestle kingdom preview and predictions i may do it on the first depending on uh how dead i'll feel inside um (laughs) but we'll we will get there when we get there um but yeah i'm i figured you know today was a proper day um not much going on nxt i did not even watch and i know today would be the day for uh, love hate nxt but usually i'm not a fan of doing pre-taped episodes as in the case of uh monday night fucking raw which received the 1.84 million and you fucking deserve it vince trash bag ass motherfucker um <laughs> i'm in a mood today um, but again, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't want to finish out the week with just, you know, just news of the weekend and, you know, not giving you guys something to sink your teeth into, into the weekend, getting you prepared for the top 10 matches of 2019. But I could not, but for the, for the life of me, I could not be, I could not just leave any matches out. Yeah. I could easily do a top 10 list today, knock that out, go into the weekend, have news of the weekend on Monday end that, and let that be one episode 150 call it a fucking day but i was like you know what if we're gonna end the year right we're gonna end the end the year with the top 20 matches in my opinion made my cut again going in, going from last segment i had started with 45 matches literally sitting in front of my laptop going through aew wwe nxt nxt uk and energy pw matches and there's no possible way that i could leave some matches out there were a lot of bangers this year outside of WWE. And that's why I always tell 
Y'all, to expand your horizons, WWE isn't just the, the one thing out there. And that's the most beautiful thing about professional wrestling. Bitch, we got options. Okay? And like Chris Rock said, a man is only faithful as his options. And <laughs> if y'all haven't seen any Chris Rock, you need some in your life, YouTube him real quick and, and thank me later. You'll get a good laugh for at least about an hour and a half. A little Diet Coke action today. I had to get some, got some McDonald's. Don't judge me. Every once in a while, it's okay to have a double quarter pounder with cheese. But you're not here for me to talk about double quarter pounders with cheese. You're here for me to talk about the top 10 honorable mentions from the past 12 months. Again, as, as I stated earlier, two matches were easily taken out. Now, these were actually last minute picks. These were actually last minute picks that I did immediately right after. I was like, you know what? I can I could do without A and B. Now, I did say the two that didn't make the cut last minute were the triple threat match in NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff between um, Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster versus Gallus versus Grizzly Young Veterans. Although that match was an absolute banger, one of the, one of the two matches could easily have taken over that spot. Shayna Baszler, Rhea Ripley was going to be on my list. But then again, I realized if we're talking honorable mentions, Rhea Ripley was a little bit too soon. And the match was good, but the one match I have replacing it was just that much better. Now, let it be known, there are only two women's matches on this entire list. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of goons out there will probably be like, why don't you have any more women matches in your card? Again, you goon. When it comes to my top tens, anything, I take it very, very seriously. The biggest biggest one of my biggest criteria of a top 10 list if i'm gonna do one in terms of matches is significance of the match the triple threat tag team of from nxt uk takeover was a good match and it was very significant because it highlighted andrews and webster's big moment in front of the cardiff crowd in the front of their home crowd and they won a championship shana bays the rhea ripley was also significant for the fact that rhea ripley ended the dominating reign of rhea of shana Baszler's title 416 days that is a that is something that a lot of people would say is a very long reign and rhea ripley was the only one that could probably have done it and that is significant in and of itself but the two that i have Placing it were just a bit more significant. But let's not, you know, run, you know, give it the runaround any more than it needs to. Let's get into at least the top t- top 10 honorable mentions of 2019. And we're gonna go in this segment from 10 to 6. And in the next segment, we're gonna go five to one. And trust me, the five I have, I think would easily make anyone's top 10 list of 2019 without question so let's get started number 10 Shayna Baszler and Bianca Belair the reason why I put this on here was one I didn't want to have two Shayna Baszler matches on there and I think in terms of the between Belair against Baszler and Ripley against Baszler the reason I hold Belair over Ripley in regard even though Ripley was the one to take the title away from Baszler, was this was Belair's coming out party. At that point, Bianca Belair had won 
a fatal four-way match to become the number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship and would face Shayna Baszler at TakeOver Philly. I love this match for the simple fact that Baszler, at that, at that point, that was her be- her biggest test to date, way before Ripley came onto the scene. I think, and, and this is the, and that's the big reason why it's on this list. It's a twofold. Baszler's biggest test to date at that time, and Belair's coming out party. That alone can easily get you on on a list of mine of mine at least. This match was a very well done match. The fact and the ending itself was the re, was part of the was probably the reason it got just to that 10 spot. Again, I could have put Cody Dustin. I could have put the Brotherhood versus Young Bucks. I could have put a lot of other matches in this spot, but I think for the simple fact that Bel Air's coming out party came on this night, and the fact that fans actually showed her love after her defeat against Baszler gave me that, you know what? That makes the list. The fact that she tried to fight out of the Kirafuda clutch, not once, not twice, I believe three times, to which at the third time she could not get muster the strength to get out of it and was forced to go to sleep. But that match alone put Bel Air on the map. Now, ever since then, she hasn't really done much. I think her last, most recent match was actually against Shotzi Blackheart, um, to which I will have to go back and check that out on my own time because, you know, I like to keep things private for the most part. But yeah, it's t- number 10, Shayna Baszler and Bianca Belair, without question, I think, leads off the list in a very proper manner. Now, mind you, I did have Baszler, Belair in, another, in a different spot, but again, with the other two matches I had put in it, I think it goes without saying. Number nine on my top 10 honorable mentions of 2019. I'm going to give it to Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston. Now, again, this match alone could have probably made some of y'all's top 10 list. I would have probably told you you're out of your goddamn mind. (laughs) But given the fact that I have a little bit more leeway with honorable mentions and top 10 matches of the year... Excuse me. I think the 10 that I have for top 10 matches of 2019. Brian versus Kingston. Wouldn't light a candle to any of the 10 I have. And but the significance of this and this will I will say foreshadow right now. This the men's elimination chamber match is on this list. Where? You'll find out soon enough. But without the men's elimination chamber match, Brian versus Kingston wouldn't be what it was. Again, the re- part of the reason I am putting this on the list is Mustafa Ali. Now, it's it would be very heelish of me to say, thank you, Mustafa Ali, for getting injured. Because that did open that door to Kofi Kingston. Unfortunately, in a match against Brandy Orton, I believe he broke his nose to that matter. Somewhere on his face. He broke his face. I believe it was his nose, though, and he was unable to compete, which pretty much took him out of that. Now, me thinking the way I think, 
if we go, if we kept Mustafa Ali and if Mustafa Ali never got injured, I think that Mustafa Ali would have been at WrestleMania 35 facing Daniel Bryan for the WWE Championship. This was the match that they wanted. But I'm sure that Kofi Kingston owes a lot to Mustafa Ali for his injury. Now, I know that's very huge of me to say, but without the Ali injury, Kofi Kingston wouldn't have won the WWE Championship. This match was very significant to me personally, not only because I wanted Kofi to win, because I believe, if I remember correctly, I did pick Kofi to win. Because there was no other way you could get around the fact that this couldn't be denied at this point. When we got to WrestleMania 35, oh, good girl. And of course, even with the top 10 list, that was your obligatory Marley moment of the evening. Um, even with Kofi and having that, you know, the storyline, it couldn't be denied that Kofi was going to, was, fans wanted this. We wanted this. I wanted this. And probably you did too. Now, there's always been stories of Vince McMahon, you know, not wanting to have black heavyweight champions. Some of y'all dumb fucks would say, you know, well, The Rock's the first ever black heavyweight champion. No, 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 no. He got black tan, but he is not African-American. He's Samoan. He, he just got dark tan. But he got a hood pass anywhere he goes. I can tell you that right now. And guaranteed. But Kofi Kingston winning that WWE Championship that night could not be denied. Given the fact that we as fans wanted it, and this kind of was reminiscent of the Yes Movement. Occupy Raw. Daniel Bryan's Occupy Raw. Shades of WrestleMania 30 all over again. And what better person to have as the, the heel in this case then Daniel Bryan. So it, this was this was a wonderful match to watch. When Kofi Kingston finally hit that trouble in paradise and got the three count, New Jersey exploded. I'm surprised we didn't get a 5.2 on the on the Richter scale in terms of magnitude because that was an earthquake of reaction. Now, mind you, I am of mixed race. I am of Czech descent, and uh, my father is Czech, and my mother is African-American. So as an African-American, I was proud to see Kofi in that moment hold the championship. The first true African-American heavyweight champion. The first black man to win a, hold the, a significant championship. Gone were the times of the Boba, Boba Brazil's not getting shine. The Booker T's getting shit on. And, we all, and if you don't know that Booker T Triple H storyline, you might want to go research that. Because that was some fuckery of the highest regard. But WWE had no fucking choice in this matter. Let Daniel Bryan retain. You would have a riot in East Rutherford. And I would have heard about it on the news with me laughing my ass off. Give Kofi, give us what we actually wanted. And Kofi wins. We get that big moment. We, we actually get a WrestleMania moment. A moment that will be etched in time forever the right call at on that night was made and i guarantee vince mcmahon did not want to make that call but he had no choice and for that vince at least you get one thing out of me we thank you number eight 
Asuka versus Becky Lynch from the Royal Rumble. Man, that was a banger of a women's title match. It really was. Why is it so significant? Well, it opened the door for Becky Lynch to get into the Royal Rumble when Lana was injured. And she was actually chosen to be in the Royal Rumble. Now, Lana, honestly, I could give a fuck less, character-wise. Attractive as all hell, I'll give her that. But in terms of character, straight, absolute dumpster fire. Honestly, if they put her on main event for the rest of her career, I would not give a fuck less because I don't watch main event. But Asuka winning the, the SmackDown Women's Championship in that moment gave me a sense of hope. Because then, because that told me, maybe, just maybe, they actually are pining for Asuka to be part of WrestleMania. Now, we found out two months later how much they really didn't give a fuck about Asuka with Charlotte winning the SmackDown Women's Championship against Asuka. Fucking up yet another shot at Asuka actually having a WrestleMania moment. And again, you know, if you want to have the so-called women's revolution, could have easily had two big marquee matchups to make that card look decent. Mind you, WrestleMania 35 was one of the worst WrestleManias I've ever watched. Hands down. I didn't like it. I was okay with it. I came to terms with it. But in terms of me, that was a thumbs down show. I think if you had Asuka Charlotte on that card and let them bang it out for about 25 minutes, I know that sounded wrong. I'm just going to let it ride. You know we don't edit shit over on this side. That match, Asuka vs. Charlotte 2, and I had stated that many times in the lead-up to WrestleMania 35. Even after Charlotte took the title from Asuka, I said that was the dumbest move WWE made at that time of the year. You could have had two marquee matchups headlined by Becky versus Ronda, a match we were supposed to get at Survivor Series that could not be denied to be at WrestleMania 35's main event. If that was the main event, I guarantee you a lot of people would have been all over that. And if Asuka Charlotte 2 were to take place and you had Asuka go over on Charlotte, redeeming herself one year from one year ago when the streak, her 900 day plus undefeated streak ended, I think at least for that moment, WWE, we would have actually thought, you know what? They actually give a fuck about Asuka. And on top of that, they actually let had Charlotte, the queen, lose on a major pay-per-view and had someone have their moment in the sun. Asuka-Becky Lynch was such a good match. Honestly, before I even... Last night, this was off my list. But then I thought about it while walking Marley. Asuka-Becky was actually a good match. Actually, if I remember correctly, that was actually one of my highlights of the show. I enjoyed this match thoroughly. I was so pleased with how they went about this that when it came down to it, when I walked back inside and I realized I would be a fool to leave this match off the list. A complete fool. Think about it, y'all. Going from TLC last year and Becky, Charlotte, and Asuka having that amazing triple threat TLC match for the women's title. Asuka finally, finally getting her just due. 
and becoming SmackDown Women's Champion. And knowing the rematch was imminent between Asuka and Becky, I was all for it. Boy, was I all for that shit. I'm... Woo! They could do Asuka Becky literally for an entire year if they booked it correctly, and I would be all fucking for it. If that's what they wanted to do. At that moment in time, like I said, Asuka was going to be at WrestleMania. That was my thought process. Like, Asuka's going to be at WrestleMania. Becky, we didn't know at that point what was going to happen at the Royal Rumble. But then we got the match we wanted with Becky versus Ronda. And they should have kept it at that. And I still say that to this day. And looking back at it, I'm fucking right. You know I'm right. And if you thought the same way I did, you were right as well. I'm telling you. Make me head of creative in WWE and I will work wonders for the fucking company. Let my check be in the mail. You can direct deposit all the fuck you want. I'm sure I'll hire myself an accountant and he'll be like, how the fuck you get in this paper? Because I'm damn good at what I do. But without question, at least in that moment, Asuka and Becky took different, were about to take different paths to WrestleMania. We just didn't know how crazy and how foolish WWE's booking decisions were going to be for either lady. One of despair for Asuka and one of triumph for Becky. Number seven. Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kenny Omega from Wrestle Kingdom 13 for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. I know, I know. How in the fuck are you putting Tanahashi versus Omega a Wrestle Kingdom main event number 7 on honorable mentions of 2019 cause the other 6 are fucking better 1 and 2 cause I said so but the fact that Tanahashi Omega was a little bit bittersweet now Tanahashi, Tanahashi Ibushi from G1 Climax last year. God damn. That, that alone made my top 10 list without question. That was an easy one. They had, a, they had a, an amazing match just for the right to go to Wrestle Kingdom. They had a banger of a matchup. Me personally, I was hoping for Ibushi Omega for the simple fact that best friends, you know, former foes, turn best friends, you know, turn allies. We're going to go one-on-one against each other for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Main event. Wrestle Kingdom. The story wrote itself. But understandably, Tanahashi, Omega, when I when, he, when we got to Wrestle Kingdom, made the most sense at the time. Tanahashi's road to Wrestle Kingdom, though, was not without its nonsense. He had to go through Okada. And he had to go through Jay White in order to do it. Okada's match with Tanahashi was a banger. Tanahashi Jay White was I. It got the job done. But after those two, it was clear Tanahashi and Omega were going to meet at Wrestle Kingdom 13. What was also bittersweet was that the fact that we, re- we found out Omega's contract was going to be up after the 31st of January. So at that point, it was a foregone conclusion that Tanahashi was going to take the championship away from Omega. Me personally, I wanted Omega to be Tanahashi because I didn't fucking want to see that shit because he is Japanese John Cena. 
but I still love Tanahashi. Don't get it twisted. It's just sometimes change is good. And Obushi Omega, I guarantee you, would have would have been lights out at Wrestle Kingdom 13 for the championship. And Ibushi becoming world becoming IWGP Heavyweight Champion. Holy shit! What a moment! What a big headline that would have been. Now Ibushi is going into Wrestle Kingdom 14 night two, going up against Kazuchika Okada for the world for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, and what I think is going to be a fantastic match, and what I cannot wait to talk about on January 6th. But with Tanahashi Omega again, it was bittersweet because we kind of had an I kind of had an idea that Tanahashi was going to take it. I still picked Omega. I went with my heart and not my head. But what we what we were given with Tanahashi and Omega was fantastic. For the last five years, I would say since 2016, when I moved back to New Jersey, I will never forget the day, January 4th, 2016. That day is not only significant to my life, but that was the first time legitimately I had ever watched the Wrestle Kingdom event. I remember I was sitting, I was in my sister's house, just getting picked up by one of my uh, sister's um, boyfriend's very good friends, picked me up at the airport, dropped me off. I think the next day I watched Wrestle Kingdom because I was excited about it. And I, what I got, well, I think that was 11 at the time. I had just started getting into New Japan. I was a straight up noob noob. I, I, I was a, I was literally god damn that kind of new new to, to New Japan but what the spectacle of Wrestle Kingdom was and what I see it as, as it is now is one of my literally my most favorite events in, of the year hands down and it was it was it was always something I correlate with the day I came back to my home state of New Jersey so I always equate that day with you know now this year will be the you know four year anniversary of me moving back to New Jersey but also the fourth anniversary of myself watching Wrestle Kingdoms and Tanahashi and Omega made this one in particular one of my favorites there's a lot of there are a lot of great matches that came out the last three four years from 11 to 13 straight bangers straight great shows never and those those will be shows I will never forget Wrestle Kingdom 11 Oh my God! What a spectacle! Twelve. I think I think eleven was more so when Jeff Jarrett became part of Bullet Club. You know when Bullet Club got the two sweet officially from Kevin Nash. What a moment in time that was for Gallows and Anderson to get love from Kevin Nash. Holy fucking shit! You know that was my and for that to be my first you know my first ever go into the Wrestle Kingdom lore. Fuck was I impressed. That was when I started seeing Shinsuke. When I started seeing Okada and Tanahashi, Ibushi, the junior heavyweights. My love for the cruiserweights. I fell for. I fell in love with the junior junior heavyweights. My love for that felt. You know, I can't. You know, I fell for that. My love for professional wrestling came back that day. My true like. You know now now knowing two years later I would actually have a podcast doing this shit. But Tanahashi Omega was one of those matches I can never forget for the simple fact that A, the Young Bucks were also out there um, in Omega's corner. And just that looming thought of he's leaving on a 31st no matter what. And then the bigger news came out, you know, speculation started of 
Is he going to WWE? Is he going to AEW? Well, we found out pretty quickly, first week of February, where exactly he was going. And if you really thought that Omega was going to WWE, you were out of your goddamn mind at that time. You still are. You're welcome. But if you do go back and watch that match, Tanahashi was willing, was wanting to be the ace again. Omega was willing to do anything to keep that championship. I, I, I these two really played off well to each other, and for that, I am thankful that they gave us a really good match. Unfortunately, in any other in any other parallel universe, this match could have easily been on, on my top ten. Again, my top my the the six that I have above it. And the 10 that I have for matches of the year will say otherwise. But if I only kept it strictly to top 10, this would easily more than likely be number 10 on the list. Without question. And we will end the segment on number six. Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano three. The second two out of three falls match at TakeOver Toronto now you're probably wondering Zach why the third and let me let me explain now if I remember correctly 2018 when I did my matches of the year I was just literally, like I said, th- that 20 to 18 match, the 10 top 10 matches of the year list was without a doubt the easiest list I will ever create in my entire life. That mat- that match list easily flowed. And I think I had everything in the right spot. I think when it comes to my top 10 matches of the year this year, I think everything flows properly. Whereas number 10, 9, 8, 7, and then we get to 6. Once we get into the top five, those five can't be denied. The reason I chose this, the second two out of three falls over the first was the simple fact that I think with the first two out of three falls match, I think it was more pure. It was a pure, straight up wrestling match. Yes, there were shenanigans, <laughs> but I think that's what made that match that match but what made Johnny Gargano Adam Cole 3 so proper was the fact that Cole chose his stipulation Gargano chose his and if they went to a third fall Regal would make the decision for them and what we got out of that third fall was absolutely nothing short of bananas now this could have easily cracked my top 5 without question and I'm sure when you look back at it, I maybe have made the wrong decision not putting this in the top five. But when I look at the five I have, in terms of significance, much bigger. Those the five I have in the next segment, when you look when you look at one through five, it makes the most sense. With Cole Gargano, this was one of my favorite feuds of 2019, hands down. It is definitely a candidate for feud of the year for the YLP Year End Awards. And we'll be doing that a little bit late, a little bit um, after um, the new year. Again, I'm only going to do this show and the next show, my top 10 matches of the year 2019 to end out the year. The YLP year and year end awards will come soon after, but it will be coming. I may not even do a love hate next week because of it. We'll see. 
But Cole Gargano three. This match, I, 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 like I said, this was, this was of the three. This was I would rank number two. The second, which was Takeover twenty five, um, was the le- my least favorite of the three. I enjoyed the match, but I think what we got out of the two out of three, the second two out of three falls match was perfect. A pure wrestling match, a street fight, and you got that most hellacious cage I've seen since War Games. Corgargano was one of those feuds that came out of literally nowhere. And again, Gargano Cole was not supposed to happen. Until later on in the year. Later on this year. But due to Master Champions injury, Gargano Cole had to happen. Now, what we got out of it were three very good matches. I would say some of my favorite matches of this year from NXT. Just the match from TakeOver Toronto, proper way to headline the show. And the, at this point, the, this is way, and this is before the Gargano, this, I was going to say Gargano, black situation. This was way, this is before, but this is the, in the infancy of the Undisputed Prophecy. You know, this was, they were three quarters of the way there at that point. And Adam Cole defending the championship at all costs was was did what he had to do. This was the proper way to end the feud between Cole and Gargano. I think the fact that they had the red herring for Regal to choose the third stipulation was you easily knew from jump it was going to be one one going into the third fall. We knew that. It was all a matter of what Regal was going to choose as the third fall. What stipulation was it going to be? And then when we saw what we got and what Gargano and Cole did and were willing to do to become NXT champion, man, let me tell you, they got it right. Gargano, unfortunately, could not get the job done. Adam Cole retained the belt, thus continuing the Undisputed Prophecy. Roddy Strong finally became the North American Championship champion, thus completing the Undisputed Prophecy. And now we are going to 2020, all four members still champs. Um, it's going to be a little harder now for Fish and O'Reilly to go as tag team champions if Fish is still out with injury. Um, still not sure how long Fish is going to be out, but it'll be interesting to see what they're going to do in 2020. But with Cole and Gargano 3, again, it was a great way to end the feud. This game is made, even in defeat for Gargano, um, a bigger babyface than he, than he was already, and gave Cole proper, proper, proper respect. Because it was only 1-1, and, they needed, and he needed that definitive signature win in the feud. He got it at TakeOver Toronto. And NXT, even with what I would consider the, and this, this is not definitely a bad thing to say. I would say TakeOver Toronto was not their best, but the matches we got out of it, some a, a few of the matches we got out of it, definitely loaded up to the building. And 
I was in I was a minus one or minus one match. NXT Takeover Toronto did exactly what they had to do to get to where they needed to go going into the fall months. And for that, I was happy. And for that, that was I think at number six was a proper spot to put Cole and Gargano three in. So that, ladies and gentlemen, was numbers 10 through six of my top 10 honorable mentions of 2019. It's going, it's getting good so far, but we're going to take a break, listen from our sponsor. And when we get back, we get into the top five honorable mentions of 2019. And let me tell, I'll tell you what, these five could easily make a top 10 list without question. Unfortunate, it's unfortunate that these five didn't make the cut. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Right, and we are back with the second half of the top 10 honorable mentions of 2019 for episode 149 of the Young Lions Perspective. So far, we have gone through the first half of the top 10. And now we get into the top five honorable mentions of 2019. Let's start off with number five. Chris Jericho versus Hangman Page. From AEW All Out for the inaugural AEW World Championship. Again, honestly, this was at this point the most important match in AEW's history. A lot of people that I saw on social media around this time, which was during the greatest professional greatest weekend of professional wrestling in 2019 to which it was still my favorite weekend of all time in 2019 we were given a hell of a matchup between hangman page and chris jericho a lot of people were pulling for hangman page a lot of people were pulling for chris jericho myself y'all know i pulled for chris jericho to win the aew world championship based on the fact that hang i felt that hangman page was not even though he was a big name he wasn't prepared i don't think he was prepared to have the company on his shoulders and for that we were and for those of us who chose chris jericho we were right in choosing him because look at where chris jericho is now going into 2020 having reinvented himself once again into the y2j of old look um and still killing it with every promo you know i appreciate the fact that Jericho is AEW World Champion right now. And going into 2020, his feud with John Moxley is only going to get bigger and better. The reason I put this at number five and not higher on this list is because, surprisingly, I have another Chris Jericho match on this list. And I think it's very also a very important matchup. Now, usually Chris Jericho Hangman Page could be higher. But I think the match that I had with Chris Jericho and another person um, was a bit more significant at the time. And I'll explain that when we get there. But for this match, 
Um, this match to me signified what we were going to get when we got into AEW full time with Dynamite and Full Gear and now Revolution. And of course, we still have Bash at the Beach um, episode coming up in about three, in about a couple weeks. And, you know, Chris Jericho was the right man for the job to have the company on his shoulders through this first leg of its history in terms of world champion. There was no other way I could see anyone but Chris Jericho win the, t- win the title. This matchup in and of itself was good, was a really good matchup. And I think the crowd in Chicago appreciated what Jericho and Paige were doing in that ring. If I remember correctly, Aubrey Edwards was given the job to be the head referee of that, be the referee in that matchup. And even she played an integral part in the matchup itself, pretty much not backing down to Chris Jericho. And the crowd even popping over that was a great spot in the match. Paige did everything he could to defeat Jericho. It just wasn't enough. That Judas effect at the end, I think the way they did it was very proper. Um, pretty much, they wanted to make it look like as if he hit it out of nowhere. Literally. And he kind of did on Paige. Um, people still don't. Some people don't like the fact that the, uh, the Judas effect was just, just a spinning elbow. I say it's a pretty technical move. But the simple fact that you can literally hit an elbow out of anywhere and knock someone out. We've I've seen it happen in UFC. John Bones Jones has done it. I've seen people get hit with a spinning back elbow before and rock the fuck out of them. So why not have the Judas effect? You know what I mean? I think don't ever take this match for granted because this was literally the this is going to be the kickoff to what we were going to see in AEW Dynamite. Um, for Jericho, still your current and reigning and defending AEW World Champion, and he has put over the likes of Darby Allen and Jungle Boy and Cody Rhodes, you know, and has done great, great promos, putting over um, Jake Hager and pretty much shitting all over the Jack Swagger gimmick, um, pretty much saying WWE is poor creative in their shit, which I can agree with 100%. You know, Le Champion, a little bit of the bubbly, all this shit. And it has just it has had you know a rise for Chris Jericho. Again, the reinventing of Chris Jericho is something that we will will never see again in history. Honestly, you know, to his celebration bash with his father showing up, you know, and you know Jericho's father shitting all over Chicago and the Blackhawks. I don't, if had we gotten Hangman Page to become AEW World Champion, I'm not exactly sure if it would, you know, hit the way it would suppose, it probably would have had Jericho not, had Jericho win it, or had Page won it instead of Jericho. Had the roles been reversed, I'm not exactly sure if Page would be able, would be prepared mentally and physically for the grind that was about to come. I think Jericho was the right man to win the AEW World title. Um, for Hangman Page, he has done. He has put on a good effort. He has done some good things um, ever since he lost that belt. He has, you know, fought. You know, with, with right now he's like pretty much leaving the elite. Uh, he left the elite, um, possibly embroiling a feud with Kenny Omega in the future, or possibly just turning heel. And for that, I think that would be a dope thing to see. Um, Page, you know, turn heel on uh, the elite and then just be that dick-like heel. Um, I don't think he'll necessarily join the inner circle, but I think in, in and of itself, um, Paige is a standalone heel. I think it definitely, definitely work. 
this match to me not only screams top five, but you know, it screams significance. Again, it was for the it was to crown the first ever AEW world champion. The person who's gonna lead that company into AEW Dynamite this past October. Jericho was the right man for the job, but Paige put in his best effort to date. I still think that's his, his best effort to date until we see Paige turn heel. And then we'll get to see some fire out of him. But I think that match for Paige was a definite, you know, experience for him. And, so, and something he, I know he'll never forget, having to share the ring with Jericho in front of that crowd. But at least in that moment in time, all eyes were on Jericho and Paige. And that's something we will never forget. Especially to round off the greatest day of professional wrestling in 2019. Number four, Pete Dunne versus Joe Coffey for the WWE United Kingdom Championship at TakeOver Blackpool. NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool in January. For me, and at this point, NXT UK was literally in its infancy when... Pete Dunne and Joe Coffey fought for the UK Championship. Mind you, at that time, NXT UK was only about a couple months old. For real. Started around late October, early November. We crowned the first ever women's champion before that in Rhea Ripley. What a moment that was for her. Beating the perennial favorite, Tony Storm. And then just a month left to go before Blackpool, it was announced I think it was around November. They were they announced that we were going to have the first ever takeover for NXT UK, and for that I was excited. I think if you go back and listen to my old shit back in 2018, I was very excited for this. This is a big moment for NXT UK this early on to have a takeover in one of the most legendary cities in all of Britain, Blackpool, the hometown, or the kayfabe hometown, or probably the actual hometown of one. NXT general manager William Regal Blackpool was insane for what we got out of it we got Ripley Storm 2 for the championship we got to crown the first ever UK tag team champions when the Grizzly Young Veterans faced Mustache Mountain we got I believe Finn Balor versus Jordan Devlin due to the fact that Travis Banks got injured by Devlin and wasn't able to compete at TakeOver Blackpool and Finn Balor showed up. That was bananas. And then we got Dunn versus Coffee. Now, this was in the midst of Dunn's 600-plus day, 600 day reign as UK champion, stemming all the way back to TakeOver Chicago back in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Even Maybe even longer, 2016, I think. 2017, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, if I from if my mind serves me right, 2017, take over Chicago, and that was literally a top three match of the year candidate, hands down. Dunn versus Coffee to me was a champion fighting to retain his championship versus a guy who was willing to do anything to have his king to begin his kingdom. This was an, I think, personally, this is an underappreciated matchup and one I would suggest you go out of your way to check out. 
not only because of its because of its first takeover, but I think not e- not even because the debut of Walter in NXT UK. That's par for the course, and that was the reason I probably got it wrong in terms of me picking Joe Coffey to win the NXT UK uh, WWE United Kingdom Championship. I had Coffey beating Dunn. I can admit that. I got that one wrong. I felt that it was really time for Coffee to stand alone as the champion. Um, going into this particular takeover, Dunn and Coffee was a very, very big feud. One that I was very, very excited about, which, which in a sense was the beginnings of Gallus versus Mustache Mountain. This, this was all that, that was the embroiled that was the big time storyline Gallus and Mustache Mountain fighting for brand supremacy Gallus wanted to be the other kingdom Mustache Mountain were pretty much the foundation of what we see what we know as NXT UK today and Dunn was willing to do any and everything to retain that UK championship what we got out of that was a solid match between these two and one that I am thoroughly impressed by I am happy with I am so happy that you know that these two men put on a display that literally showed to me personally what true British strong style is it's insane that I don't think many people know about this match. Again, Dunvers Coffee ain't for the faint at heart. This was pure British strong style at that point at its best. Again, Volter coming into it adds significance to the, to the whole entire matchup. Him making his debut was the right time to do it introduced a the biggest threat to Pete Dunne at that point and we then found out months later Volter became NXT WWE you know UK champion thus then soon after creating the stable of Imperium one of my favorite stables in all of WWE right now but I think this really set the foundation of what main event storylines were going to be for NXT UK in 2019. This was the fire starter. And I think without this matchup, I don't think NXT UK would be in the position that it's in right now. Now, again, I haven't watched NXT UK in a little while. And that sucks for me because I love NXT UK. I'm a big fan of it. I want to go back and maybe catch on a, catch up on a couple episodes before we get into TakeOver Blackpool 2. Um, I'm really excited for NXT UK to see what they're going to do going into 2020, especially knowing that we have their third installment of TakeOver. And I think this may be a, a they might do a biannual TakeOver, just have one in uh, one in Blackpool as their mainstay and one maybe in another city. Um, I'm hoping one day they do a London show. I'm hoping they do a Liverpool. I'm hoping a Manchester. I want a Sheffield. I would hope, you know, for a... You know, a Dublin show, that would be a wild one. You know, a Scottish show, 
a big Scottish show for the crowd in Scotland. They have a lot of options. And I think as they get bigger, they will be able to do a, a few more shows per year. Maybe four. Who knows? But I think without, I think a lot of credit goes to Pete Dunne and Joe Coffey for establishing that big match feel. And looking at my list, if I'm not mistaken, this is literally the only NXT UK matchup to make this honorable mentions list. And that says something about this match. No other match from NXT UK made this list. I could have easily put Ripley Storm in there. I could have put Tony Storm versus Ginny in there. I could have put Pete Dunne versus Volter in there. But I think for significance of the brand, Pete Dunne and Joe Coffey stands alone as the match that literally put NXT UK on the map. And without this matchup, we wouldn't have gotten Volter. I don't think we would have established a proper main event scene the way we have. And for that, I'm thankful. Number three, honorable mention of 2019, the men's Elimination Chamber match from Elimination Chamber in February. This goes without saying, honestly. I could literally just say that, and that's all I needed to say, and we'll just go to number two. But this was a significant match in the in the build-up to Kofi Kingston and Daniel Bryan, which is why... This is very high on this list. Without this match, Kofi Kingston would not be WWE Champion. Or at least given that proper push for Kofi Mania to begin. Not only did I enjoy this matchup, I did. I thoroughly love this matchup. You know, the biggest part of it was Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston. Kingston eliminated Orton and jump-started that feud that we would see eight months later. Seven months later, I believe. And that, unfortunately, I mean, SummerSlam, that's a whole different character in and of itself. But that jump-started the Orton feud that we would get to see seven months later. That jump-started, you know... Kofi Kingston's, you know, run to WrestleMania. Although Daniel Bryan did retain, I mean, over a star-studded group, you know, AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, Samoa Joe, Kofi Kingston, Randy Orton. This was a this was a match that you know any person that is just a regular casual person could watch this and thoroughly enjoy it. You know, it was it was just in, just so enjoyable. And if I remember, I don't even remember if I even picked Brian to retain. I think I did pick Brian to retain, if I'm not mistaken. Because at that time, I don't think any, I think where they were going, where they were going to go was Mustafa Ali, Daniel Bryan. That was the, that was going to be the whole spiel. Kofi Kingston was going to do what Ali, Mustafa Ali was supposed to do. And, you know, like I said, that jump-started everything. They were going to make Ali what Kofi Kingston was in 2019. And that wouldn't necessarily not have been a bad thing. Again, the Ali injury is the only reason Kofi Kingston became WWE Champion. Again, that man should be giving him all types of thank you cards 
and a big nice present for him and uh, Mustafa Ali's family. But, you know, that's not my money. <laughs> but again, this was the jump start to everything that was Kofi Mania. The match itself was a was a fantastic. This was so much fun to watch. And this was, well, technically, this would make three WWE matches that would be on there. So you get even Vince, you get a third. You got three on it this year. Not in my top 10 matches of 2019, but you got three at least for your honorable mentions. So for that, you're welcome. But considering the fact that, you know, this was not only just the jumpstart for that, AJ Styles got some shine in there, given the fact that he and Daniel Bryan had a match at, uh, a, bang, a really good match at uh, Royal Rumble. Jeff Hardy at the time was still hot. Samoa Joe at the time, you know, I'm glad that he was in the match, but unfortunately, I think he was one of the first ones eliminated. Um, this match had a lot of good interaction between all parties involved. And this was, like I said, an elimination match is usually you can, you can get a lot of play out of it. And they really did their job in terms of what they needed to do. Now, again, Samoa Joe going out first, bullshit. Um, what happened at the end with Kingston losing to Brian and Brian retaining is that last image of the New Day sitting on the steps with Kofi and the crowd that night cheering heavily for Kofi. Again, the jump starter the fire starter to Kofi Mania. Again, without that night, honestly, Kofi Kingston would not be w- would not be recognized as WWE champion today. Or now, thanks to Brock Lesnar destroying him in eight seconds and then not really giving a fuck about Kofi Kingston's title reign. Former WWE champion. But we will never forget that night. I never forgot that night. It's still fresh in my mind. I think about it every now and then. You know, I think about honestly what could have been if Ali was the, was never injured, and then I think about Kingston, you know, being chosen, you know, from the New Day. Big E, honestly, Big E could have been in that matchup. Xavier Woods, probably not. But I think for that moment, Kofi Kingston, I think, was the right man for the job. Going into number two. This will make you wonder why number two and number five are where they are. Again, I'm, I'm making you question things. You know, it's kind of what I do. I kind of tend to cause a little chaos every once in a while. But number two I have was a match that I had at number seven on my attempt 10 matches of 2019. Until, unfor- you know, certain matches I felt were a lot better than this next match. But I'm going with Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega from AEW Double or Nothing. And you're wondering, wait, you're holding Jericho and Omega in higher regard in the AEW World Championship match between Hangman Page and Chris Jericho? I am. I absolutely am. For the reason that this was, to a lot of people, including myself, a dream match. Again, significance. <laughs> and you can use and you can say that's a cop out all you want. I don't care. When you when you were gonna tell me 
Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega were going to fight each other to determine who was going to fight to become the first ever AEW World Champion at All Out, you have my fucking attention. Easily. And and the, my I think the first few words that came out of my mouth is, this better be a banger. This better be a banger. And it was. I don't care what anyone tells me. You can say Jer- you can say Jericho Omega was bullshit. I don't care. Jericho Omega, star power. Star power. Jericho, par for the course. Kenny Omega, after what we saw in 2018 with him and Okada, and then the match he had against Tanahashi, and then pretty much you know. You know, just the run-up to Double or Nothing, their first ever live pay-per-view. Which, if I'm not mistaken, I think I... Did I have to pay for that one? I think I did have to pay for one. All of a sudden, we all got that free. I paid money to watch this matchup. Strictly for Jericho Omega. I enjoyed the rest of the night. All or Nothing was great. Memorial Day weekend. Man. That was it was a fun show to watch. You know, made my Saturday night proper. I love nothing more than watching this. And Jericho and Omega did their job. That's why I put I put this above Jericho versus Paige. This was the match that defined that at that point defined AEW. When we found out earlier on the night that Hangman Page won the buy-in, so he was literally waiting with bated breath to determine to see who he was going to face. Now, me personally, I had Omega defeating Jericho. When Jericho defeated Omega, I kind of sat back and thought, okay, I get it. You know, if they had Omega versus Page, two guys from the Elite, I don't think the story would be as good. You know, it would definitely be two guys from the elite fighting each other for the AEW world title. They definitely wanted to go with a heel versus face dynamic. And I knew Jericho, especially what he did with the Painmaker gimmick um, with Okada the year prior. And then, of course, having the feud with Naito, you know, Okada. I mean, he, again, reinvented himself as the Painmaker. It was great shit, you know. And then, of course, that the debuting of the Judas Effect, um, which is, of course, off his song, uh, hit song uh, Judas from Fozzie, his band. And if you never heard that song, that will wake your ass up pretty damn quick. It's like taking a freaking shot of freaking whiskey and pre-workout at the same time. It gets you kind of loopy, but it pretty much makes you go ape shit. Nor would I recommend it. Don't do that. You might as well just drink Red Bull and vodka while you're at it. That's literally the equivalent of liquid cocaine. But it's that kind of shot in the arm. I thoroughly enjoyed the fact that, you know, Jericho Omega had such star power. And something that the crowd was in Vegas that night was heavily anticipating. They could they could have easily forgotten the rest of the show. You get hit with the men in black shit. Told them, you know, all we you know, there was a huge ice cream party and everybody pretty much had a gallon of ice cream to themselves. And we ate all of it with mad sprinkles and rainbow sprinkles and chocolate sprinkles and ice cream and a whipped cream and chocolate fudge and caramel syrup and all that good shit. 
and all you told me was Jericho Omega is going to be the match of the night. I would have been like, give me cookies and cream or peanut butter pecan if you got either. And give me all the rainbow sprinkles I can get with a little bit of chocolate syrup. Please, thank you, and you're welcome. Jericho Omega was that catalyst, was that starter, was that jump starter kind of for, well, Double or Nothing was pretty much the jump starting to everything. That was their first pay-per-view. So to have a main event like Jericho Omega as your first ever true main event for your promotion that wasn't really official yet, that at that time spoke hella volumes for pretty much everyone. That spoke volumes. This was your first legitimate show. And you put on this as your main event. Now, what followed when we got with Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen, and then we got All Out, we were introduced to so many new names, you know, so many different matches, so many different characters. Guys like MJF, guys like, you know, Jimmy Havoc, who I knew personally knew about, maybe the world did not know about. Darby Allen versus Cody, you know. Um, it was thoroughly impressive to see um, all of this. And it all jump-started from that night, Memorial Day weekend, at Double or Nothing. Jericho Omega stands the test of time in 2019 for the simple fact that this was their first true main event. It had that much star power. And the match itself, honestly, lived up to the hype. Which leads me to my number one honorable mention in 2019. This is a big thing for me. I will explain why this did not make the cut for top 10 matches of 2019. I felt that one other match held much more significance than this. And that match will be number nine on my top 10 matches of 2019. Which dropped another certain matchup down to number 10 on my top 10 matches of 2019. And I'm literally looking at those two right now and I'm thinking, yeah, those two are much better than number one right now. When I think about those two matches and I think about number one, I still say these two hold more weight than Tetsuya Naito versus Kota Ibushi from New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion. IWGP Intercontinental Championship if I'm not mistaken this match in and of itself was a very good feud for a couple of months this dates back all the way literally to if I'm not mistaken the New Japan Cup of March for those who are not in the know of New Japan or don't watch New Japan, and that's fine, I'm not going to be mad at you for it. New Japan Pro Wrestling's Dominion is the equivalent to WWE SummerSlam, but just better. Like, a million times better. Like, like SummerSlam couldn't hold a can- like a candle to Dominion at this very, at this very point. The reason why this didn't make my top 10 list was one particular spot in the match. 
a very gruesome spot. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the spot. I, I thought it was a crazy, crazy spot. But it also could have ended in big time tragedy, which would have fucked up a lot of shit going into Wrestle Kingdom. Like, when I mean a lot of shit, I mean main event of Wrestle Kingdom 14. During the matchup, Naito and Ibushi were on the outside of the apron. And they were going back and forth until Naito was able to get a German suplex on Ibushi. And what was supposed to be a German suplex that landed on the apron. Problem was, sometimes you're just a little bit off. Now, If you did watch this matchup and you are raging mad right now because this match was not on my top 10, trust me, I'm not mad at you one bit. I would have loved to put this on my top 10 list because the match itself was fucking amazing. But again, like I said, that this one particular spot literally could have met the difference between Kota Ibushi not being a going up against Kashuchika Okada for the IWGP uh, Heavyweight Championship and and pretty much being in the hospital for God knows how long pretty much would have pulled a Hiromu Takahashi if you know about that too so he has the German hits it but he is super off now I'm not saying it was going to be it was a proper routine German suplex because it's not every day you see someone get German suplexed onto an apron, onto the hardest part of the ring. That we don't normally see every day. Now, again, the apron, you only get so much room on the apron to do that spot. Had he hit it, I would have, this would have, bang, top 10 all day. It's just this, it's just that particular moment literally could have ended up being very bad for Kota Ibushi and Tetsuya Naito for that matter, honestly. I'm sure Naito would have regretted injuring Ibushi. If it's one thing I always respect is that whoever is in that ring across their person, yes, they are there to do a job to entertain the crowd, but at the same time, keep each other safe. That was a very cringe moment. What's even bigger that came out of this was that I was actually looking up Wrestle Kingdom last night when I was trying to choose my 45, the 45 that I chose. Of course, Naito Ibushi was always always one that I had in mind anyway. But even Meltzer couldn't rate this match because of that spot. I literally read it in Wikipedia. Dave Meltzer thought that spot was so gruesome, he was not willing to rate this match. Now, if I were rating this matchup, I easily would have given it a four and a half out of five, without question. This match was a banger. Besides that spot, the match went surprisingly very well. They did their fucking job with this matchup. Told a great story. But I don't, but I think Ibushi never really. He recovered in a sense. But it was also kind of one of those like spots where. Because mind you, after he hit that German. Um, Ibushi was literally on the outside like literally hitting the ground on the outside that's how much he missed I believe his shoulder hit the apron 
net hit the outside. It was a bad spot. And it definitely brought down those, like, it went down a lot of points for me. Looking back at it and comparing it to other matches that were that are on my top 10 match of the year list. It sucks because I would have loved to have this match on my top 10. I don't think Ibushi, like, Ibushi did recover enough to get through the matchup and do what they needed to do. But man, that was a very, very worrying spot for me. And it does take a lot. Now, mind you, I love watching Dr. Pimper Popper. I like watching gory shit. I love seeing, you know, horror flicks and actually laughing at them. Yeah, I'm morbid. Deal with it. Um, But that spot made me cringe hard. It made me worried for a long time after the spot happened. Even so much so that I believe Red Shoes was the referee of that matchup. He was concerned. It was either him or Tiger Hotori. Either Usually one of those two, when it comes to big match situations, they get the call for that. But I believe Red Shoes was the one who had the call for this, for, who was the, given the assignment. He was concerned. People, all the people on the outside were concerned. Kevin Kelly even. Like, and mind you, he is the perfect voice for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And the way he explained it, the way he did it in grave detail... Now, mind you, it was a little excessive on the replays, but I understand why they had to do it. Kevin Kelly held his composure with that, but he, even he, I can tell in his voice, he was very concerned for Obushi's well-being. Again, the match itself, though, was a proper banger, and Obushi was able to recover enough to actually go on and win the G1 Climax over Jay White. Now, mind you, again, Jay White, Obushi, not on this list, nor, nor any of the other lists, because I did not watch the G1 Climax final. For that, I do apologize for my New Japan squad out there. I will watch that on my own time when I have some, when I, you know, probably over the weekend if I do get a chance to remember. But for the life of me, this match easily could have, will probably make some people's top 10 list. If it's strictly NJPW podcast, easily top three. If it's strictly NJPW, easily top three of the year without question. And then Tanahashi Omega would be number two. And one of my matches I actually have in the top ten would have been number one for the year. If we're keeping it strictly New Japan Pro Wrestling. Naito Ibushi is the kind of feud that I enjoy. I love seeing the match. I think they these two have such good chemistry. And with Naito's just, you know... What do I call it? Nonchalant style or the nonchalant gimmick he has. Um, and with Ibushi's just effortless leg kicks in Naito's style, these two can create magic any night of the fucking week. In any other promotion in the world, this feud would be a main event anywhere. Except WWE, because they don't know how to, they wouldn't know how to book New Japan guys anyway. They already know how to they don't don't they already don't know how to book fucking Nakamura. So that explains to you how much they really don't like Japanese guys. But this match was was a very significant matchup in with this some with with this matchup. This match well, this was terrible. This matchup was, so, was very significant to what was going to happen for the remainder of the year. And had anything bad happened to Ibushi in that spot, a lot of things would have not happened. 
would not would not have happened. English is hard. But for the life of me, dollars to donuts. If I had to put a bet down, if if you were telling me right now, honorable mention, gun to my head, Naito Ibushi is my number one. Intercontinental Championship on the line, two guys that could definitely go. The crowd was into it. This was in Osaka Joe Hall. Please. Please. The famed Osaka Joe Hall? Shit. You couldn't get any bigger than, bigger than that. When it comes to Dominion. When it comes to Dominion. I will always, always, always give that more love than I will ever give to WWE SummerSlam. Dominion is my SummerSlam. Come June, I already know what time it is. Dominion's coming, and I can't wait to see what they're going to do at Dominion. Naito Ibushi. Now, mind you, of the top three matches on the card, this is the only one that did not make my top ten matches of the year list. So that should show you the significance of Dominion when it comes to my top ten matches of the year for 2019. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my top 10 honorable mentions of 2019. As always, y'all, y'all know what we're about to do. We're about to end the show properly in proper YLP fashion and get you ready and prepared for Monday's top 10 matches of the year episode, episode 150 of the podcast. We'll be right back. That's going to be it for episode 149 of the Young Lions Perspective. The Young Lions Perspective. The YLP Top 10 Honorable Mentions of 2019. Of course, as always, I want to thank you guys so much for your time. Your day, your night, your afternoon, and your evening. Wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. And as always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. If you have any opinions, or thoughts on this list. If there were any matches I may have left out that you think may have just missed the cut, but were definitely something I should have mentioned in terms of 2019, any ideas for shows going forward in 2020, I love all your opinions. Hit me up with a voice message at anchor.fm slash young lines perspective. Sound off with a voice message. And if I like it enough, I will have no problem featuring it on a future episode of the young Lions Perspective Podcast. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode, do not hesitate to tell a friend to tell a friend about the Young Lions Perspective. Share this episode across all of your social media, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Twitters, your Tinder profile. Share it there if you must because we got a lot of big stuff going down. Of course, for the last episode of this year and a bunch of stuff going on in 2020, y'all know preview and predictions going to be going down for Wrestle Kingdom 14. January 2nd, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, that was Wrestle Kingdom 14 on January 6th. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, that was NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool the Monday following on the January 13th, which means more than likely on either the 8th or 9th of January, we'll be doing, of course, the TakeOver Blackpool preview and predictions. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, that was Royal Rumble 
on January 27th. And of course, it's uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly that was Elimination Chamber and the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly that was AEW Revolution going on in February. So we got a lot of big stuff going on. And I want you to stick around because in 2020, now and forever, the Young Lions perspective is your alternative for professional wrestling podcast. And we are here to stay. Now, I know most of y'all have don't not do y'all don't have the anchor app and it makes me not want to speak english properly because of it but that's understandable there's a lot of platforms out there i totally get it you got you listen to your stuff here one of your friends listen to this podcast there that's all well and good but you you can still find the young lines perspective podcast across many many different platforms and of course like we did last week i want to introduce the two newest members of the ylp distribution machine Podcast Addict and Player FM. Give them some love. And if you got either one of those, you can easily find the Young Lions perspective on those platforms, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Overcast, Castbox FM, Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, and of course, that good oh Spotify fam. Search for the Young Lions perspective across all these different platforms, and you should have no problem finding it whatsoever. Ever. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the Young Lions Perspective Podcast, when I'm going to be doing shows, announcement for shows, when I'm doing live tweeting, all that good stuff, follow me, y'all, on Twitter at Suede Senator WWI. That's S U E D E S E N A T O R, capital W, capital W, capital I. I do live tweeting for AEW Dynamite. I do live tweeting for SmackDown Live, which I will be doing tonight. And by the time you actually hear this episode, I will be currently live tweeting for SmackDown Live, unless it goes completely trash, in which at that point, you can just listen to this episode over and over again until you get tired of it, or you're just going to wait until episode 150. Whatever makes you feel good in the morning, be my guest. I ain't matching for it. I also do live tweeting for every AEW live pay-per-view, every WWE live pay-per-view, and of course, every NXT TakeOver special. I will be, I will not be doing any live tweeting for New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 14 because that is going to be super early in the morning. But on the rare occasion that I do wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and have nothing else better to do on a Saturday morning, hey, I do live tweeting for New Japan Pro Wrestling as well. Unfortunately, I'll be tweeting while you sleep, but hey, you can catch up on the tweets once you wake up in the morning first thing. If you want to go follow me on my Instagram page, the mothership of everything that is YLP, follow me over there at young underscore lions underscore perspective. Of course, 60 second videos, memes. We're going to be doing more memes. I'm going to find more memes because wrestling, I know wrestling Twitter in 2020 is going to be absolutely in fucking sin. And I know the memes are going to be just as spicy as my shit talking here on this podcast. So follow me over there. On both of those platforms, stay up to date with everything that's going on with the Young Lions Perspective Podcast. No football. Actually, no. I already did my predictions for the college football playoff, so we already got that. If you want to check that out, episode 7 of the podcast for the Outside the Ropes podcast. Of course, if you want to check out every episode, I got plenty of them. 149 episodes strong. So happy about that. Well, the last... The last go before we end this decade, before we end the 2010s, and what a proper way to end the decade. Then with my top 10 matches of the year for 2019, I'm literally looking at this list, 
And I, I tell you, the 10 that I had this year was probably the hardest list I've done so far. Harder than 2018's match of the year, uh, match of the year uh, list. Harder than the actual top 10 uh, young stars. Uh, if y'all actually remember that from 2018, it's even much harder than that. And I promise you, I'm giving you my best top, my quality 10 for 2019. And that is going to be coming your way this Monday afternoon, hours before Monday Night Raw. So just in case Monday Night Raw goes gets even worse than what I think Raw was this past Monday, well, at least you easily have something to fall back on. As I always say, it is the weekend. It is Friday. And I know we are days away from New Year's Eve activities. Most of y'all, I think, are going to be going out just to hang out with some buddies or doing some, you know, adult shit. It bees what it bees. But as always, like I always say, please, if you're going out tonight, please do drink responsibly. Drink one for me, as always. And if you're going to be, and if you're not feeling right and you don't need to take that drive home, please do take an Uber or a Lyft. Get yourself home safe. Get home to your family and all that good stuff so you can live to fight another day and of course check out episode 150 of the young lions perspective trust me when i tell you i know people that have had duis before and that five figure that five figure number man trust me when i tell you i i never want to be in that position and i wouldn't want you to be in that position either take that uber or lift home and of course drink one for yours truly other than that i really have nothing else to go on um of course, enjoy your weekend. There's a lot of big bowl games going on. Of course, the beginning of the CFP, the college football playoff, is going down tomorrow night. My Penn State Nittany Lions are going up against the Memphis Tigers, and I think we're going to defeat them handsomely, and it's going to be a wonderful destruction. Of course, my Seattle Seahawks will be fighting for the NFC West Championship against the San Francisco 49ers on prime time on NBC, and I think that's going to be the most lit game of the weekend. I am fighting for my fantasy football championship. I'm up 30. Hopefully, we can come home with a strap, and I can talk shit come Monday about how much, about the gold, hopefully, that I'm going to get. Other than that, guys, enjoy the rest of your weekend. If you're going to be watching SmackDown tonight, hopefully, we get something good coming out of this because what I heard about Raw was straight doo-doo. Um, hopefully, SmackDown can give us a good show tonight. Other than that, guys, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And I'll see you right back here this Monday for episode 150, Top 10 Matches of 2019 on the Young Lions Perspective. See ya!